0: text where the servant is taken from uh, the gospel. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her weep not, and he came and touched the bier, and they that bear him stood still. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Uh, this is the first of four accounts of a resuscitation of a dead person that Luke has preserved. Two in his gospel, and two in the book of Acts, uh, it's worth recalling, in fact, uh, his preface to his gospel, where he lays out uh, what he's doing and what he intends. Inasmuch as many have taken under, uh, have undertaken to compile a narrative of things which have been accomplished among us, just as they were delivered to us by those who, from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me, also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. His point is uh, that though he was not an eyewitness to these events, he's an educated man. He knew how to research, and he did so diligently and followed the best practices of the historiographers of his day. I'm not making that up, that's what the man just said, Uh, and he did that in order to present a verifiable and an organized account of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, As you can see, uh, and as I've already said, an important principle of the historiography of Luke's day was the word of the eyewitness, very high. Uh, Luke's stated intention was to write an orderly account of the accomplishments of Jesus Christ, uh, one that would answer important questions like, Who is Jesus? Where is he from? And where is he now? And what should I do? Luke locked on to certain narratives, and he had others to choose from, but he locked on to certain narratives and reports from eyewitnesses that go to the core of what Jesus did and who Jesus is. So he exercised uh, the same diligence in gathering material for his second volume, the Acts of the Apostles. Now, albeit a huge chunk of the Acts uh, of the Apostles is in Luke's uh, on first person. Uh, account uh, of Saint Paul's ministry. Let me say that again. My point is is that part of Luke is a first person account, the other part of Luke is, uh, much like his gospel, uh, a, a book of research and documentation. The point I want to make uh, that I want you to take away is that Luke consciously, intentionally, intelligently studiously selected four accounts of resuscitations from all of the material that he had to include in his two-volume history of what we call the Gospel of St. Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Now, immediately following this first resuscitation, which is what this is, we have the disciples of John the Baptist on John's behalf, who's in prison, waiting for the death sentence. They come making inquiries into Jesus' ministry. And so when our Lord, and uh, essentially John says, uh, are you the one or do we, should we wait for another? Because John, uh, was, his faith was slumping. Well, how could it not uh, uh, a bit? And so he sent and asked, and Jesus uh, answered uh, John's questions by alluding to the fact that the dead are being raised he is referring then specifically to the resuscitation of the widow's son that we have documented here. Uh, the next resuscitation is the raising of Jairus's daughter. That's two in the gospel. Now in the Acts, Luke preserved two accounts, one of the apostle Peter, the other of St. Paul, raising a dead person to life. Now Luke's point in Acts is this, and this is the point I want you to get that the apostolic authority and power to do such things comes from the resurrected Christ who has bestowed his authority onto his ministers. Are y'all with me? In the first account, Peter raises a Christian woman named Tabitha. In the second account... St. Paul raises a young man from the dead. Uh, this account of St. Paul is written in first person. Okay, so the shift has been made in the book of Acts. Uh, from here on, uh, Acts is an eyewitness account from that point forward. Uh, he and Paul, uh, Luke, that is, Luke and Paul, uh, Luke was Paul's traveling companion in, as a missionary. And others traveled to Troas on a mission. Uh, they were there for about a week, uh, preaching, teaching, and meeting people. And then on Sunday, they gathered for uh, gathered the church together for the Eucharist. And Saint Paul preached a long sermon. In fact, Saint Luke says that he preached until midnight. So just think about that. Whenever you get you know a little antsy, it could be it could be different. Uh, they were meeting, and it was in the evening. Uh, They were meeting in an upper room, uh, three flights up. Actually, we have those details. Uh, The room, Luke uh, recalls vividly, was filled with light. Now, there was a young man named Uticus, and he was sitting in a big open window, uh, and uh, it it was probably hot that night, and the boy was trying to maybe catch a cool breeze, or maybe just, uh, he was a lookout, because what they were doing was subversive. Uh, Paul kept on preaching. Sometime after midnight Eutychus fell into a deep sleep and then he tumbled out the window three stories high and he bam hit the pavement uh, below and he died. Which is another warning for you not to fall asleep during sermons. (laughs) You never know. But Luke's memory is vivid. The boy was taken up from the pavement and he was dead. Uh, Paul ran down the stairs, he, all three flights, and he knelt over the boy and he cradled him, and then Paul told everyone not to worry because his life had returned to him. That's the actually the way St. Paul uh, says it that his life had returned to him. So we have four counts. What these four accounts have in common is that they are four accounts of uh, resuscitation from the dead. They are not resurrections. I know I've said this before. You'll hear this from now on. I hope because it's very important to make these distinctions. What do I mean by resuscitation? Well, this is another point that I want you to take away today. I mean to distinguish resuscitations from resurrections of the dead. uh, Resurrection of the dead. Lazarus was probably the most famous case of resuscitation from the dead. In fact, he he was good and dead because his sister Mary told Jesus not to go to the grave when he was on his way there because Lazarus had been there for at least 4 days and he would stink. That's what she said. Death stinks. Dead people have to be buried. In particular in that place. Tabitha, no doubt, was washed and no doubt wrapped in a shroud with spices for her burial when Peter came in and called her back from the dead. But here's the point. Every one of these persons eventually died again because they were not resurrected. Are you all with me? You get this. they Every one died again because they were not resurrected. In the resurrection, we will never die again. In the resurrection, too, by the way, this is an aside. I'm not charging extra for it. I want you to hear it, though. In the resurrection, we are still who we are. We do not become different people, different persons. But uh, everything's made new. We put on incorruption We put on immortality. And we are raised to everlasting life. Never to die again. But please understand. That the resurrection from the dead. Does not involve. The annihilation of nature. Rather. Christ will complete. He will perfect nature. As you've heard a thousand times before. From this pulpit. And from us teaching. Grace never destroys nature. Grace completes nature. Grace perfects nature. Grace does not suspend the laws of nature. Grace opens up true nature. By his resurrection, Jesus Christ has not negated nature. He has rather fulfilled nature's destiny, our nature's destiny, to burst into blossom and resurrected bodies, and to live forever with the Lord. But resuscitation is not resurrection. Resuscitation is not a bursting into blossom. So let's look at this text quickly, or fairly quickly. Jesus and his disciples came upon this little village called Nang which they probably... In that village had a population, about 150 souls, just about the size of our parish. That's a little village. Uh, It was also about six miles from Nazareth where he grew up. As Jesus and his, and by the way, you know, when you read that, "Ah, six miles is nothing. Come on. Pass over historically in your mind and imagination. Pass over to that point of view. I mean, they didn't have bicycles much less automobiles. They walk everywhere. Six miles is significantly different for them than it is for us uh, is my point. This that's You have to read the Bible and pass over to their point of view in order to understand it. Uh, Jesus and his disciples approached the gate of the city and they saw a funeral procession. That got his attention. Funerals would process out of the city gate to bury the person outside the city wall where the family cemeteries were located. The funerals were usually held at the end of the day and as much as possible on the day of the death of that person. Uh, Luke makes the point uh, of telling us uh, that this death involved, and he says this is very specific, an only begotten son the only begotten son of his mother. The mother now, a widow, is now childless. She has no family, and she's become an orphaned parent. This passage, you see, already bristles with emotion. The people in the village shared in the widow's grief as they gathered around her in mourning. Such mourning uh, was seen as an act and experienced by loved ones as a as an act of love uh, by the neighbor, just as it is today. It's a sad scene that greeted Jesus as he enters that little village. Also, burial customs in Judaism and antiquity required that that uh, uh, the person uh, not be prepared for burial until death was certain, which I think is an excellent idea, uh, and we definitely ought to make sure that that is inscribed in the way we handle things today, just make sure they're dead. They were dead, this boy was dead. Uh, and the family then shows that, this is why you see them tearing their clothes, that's a public uh, declaration of, of, uh, of, of grief over the death of this person. Um, generally they weren't kept, kept in the house overnight, but anyway, the corpse was wrapped in linen and spices just exactly like we see Jesus wrapped, he's placed on a wooden plank, uh, and this is what the text refers to as a beer uh, uh, they were not placed in coffins, uh, everyone could see the corpse, or at least see the corpse wrapped in these strips of linen on the plank as they process with the family out that gate then Jesus approaches the widow and he told her to stop crying. Now, again, imaginatively, pass over to that point of view. I mean, that's not a Hallmark card at all. I mean, that's jarring. Uh, and, and in fact, it, it, it seems uh, what kind of person does that? Stops the funeral and goes up to the mother uh, who has lost her only son and tells her to stop crying. And then he approached the man turned around, the man carrying the dead boy, and he touched the plank. As soon as he touched the plank, the beer, the procession stopped, not because of a miracle, because they hadn't performed a miracle yet, not because they thought, oh, wow, Jesus is here and he's going to, not because of that, but more likely, again, out of shock because touching the beer defiled the person according to the law. And that person uh, couldn't go into worship until that was uh, made right and, and settled. Uh, Plus, as I say, it's as shocking as him telling a grieving mother not to weep. Luke tells us that our Lord's actions were motivated by his compassion for the widow. This motive, listen to what I'm saying here, Uh, this this is empirically demonstrable. This motive of compassion for others is attributed to Jesus in all four Gospels repeatedly. This is another point I want you to take away. That part of the collective memory of Luke's eyewitnesses and of the Church of God was that on more than one occasion they witnessed the Word of God made flesh so moved by his very own human compassion for others, that he stopped everything to make it right. And I submit to you that he, he still does that today. God doesn't wait for the lost to find their way back to him. Jesus took the initiative. To raise the widow's son, and God Almighty, thank God Almighty, takes the initiative. He doesn't wait for us. Now here's something else, more of a minor point, but there there are no Pharisees in this story, which is unusual. Uh, the ever-present critical Pharisee, but for the original audience, and by the original audience, I mean I mean the Uh, the church that would be gathered on a Sunday for Holy Communion hearing this gospel read. That's the original audience. Uh, Just his touching the beer was probably enough to bring back the contrast between Jesus' love of people and the self-righteousness of those who have nothing to offer but more and more and more rules. The righteousness of God is not attained in its pursuit. Holiness does not glory in itself. But rather, as we follow Jesus in his love for others, the righteousness of God pursues and overtakes us. We don't know from the text how the people carrying the plank responded to Jesus uh, at first, other than the fact that they stopped. And when he started talking to the dead boy, we don't have any response, although I imagine a few thoughts were going through their heads as well. Why would a stranger who doesn't know this family interrupt such a sad and necessary, necessary ritual as this? But then the unthinkable, the unimaginable happens. The way of all flesh. Death crosses paths with the word made flesh. And he, Jesus, said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. Uh, this is the last takeaway. Uh, this account of Jesus raising the widow's son from the dead shows Jesus' compassion and his willingness and his desire to reach out and to meet and his ability to meet our most profound existential needs. It is Jesus taking the initiative in this account. Not a dead boy It is Jesus taking the initiative. He comforts the widow. He restores the boy to life and health. And this count displays the power of Jesus to reach to the very limits of our personal existence. He can and he does overpower death. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.